Hello everyone and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday on Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play is uh, our special guest, Tom Salta, also known as Atlas Plug. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Very good. How are you today? Great. Great to be here. 
So you are a composer, an instrumentalist. What is your preferred uh, terms that you would use to describe your job? Everyone describes it a little bit differently. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have no <laughs> idea. It's changed over the years. I started out as a producer, songwriter, mm. programmer for the first 15 years of my career, starting around 1990. And then uh, once I got into games, uh, I guess I added on composer to the end of that. But um, I'll be whatever you need me to be. <laughs> I make music. <laughs> so you've been working in the game space for a long time, uh, around 2004, I think is uh, around when you started in games. Is that right? That's a, that's correct. A lot of that was done under the name Atlas Plug, which is uh, the name that you took for some of your solo projects. A lot of it was kind of under your own name as well. How do you kind of differentiate which of the two names you choose to put towards uh, any project that you're working on? Well, that's easy. Atlas Plug was really a way for me to start over again. Um, mm. Coming from the record industry uh, and transferring into the game industry was not an easy task because when you are looking for game projects and you're in a brand new industry, they don't really care what albums you worked on. They just want to see uh, what games you've done. And I quickly realized that no one was really impressed with my record credits and, and what have you. But they were like, okay, so what games have you done? But I also noticed another thing is that they seem to really, you know, game companies, rightly so, seem to be very impressed with, let's say, artists. Um, you know, people who are just doing what they do anyway. They're not looking for work. They're just, they're just putting out albums. And because of my experience in doing just that, I'm like, well, then I'll just be an artist. So I thought that would be a good way to kind of start over again. So I mm. gave myself the name Atlas Plug, which is a little play on my last name. Salta backwards is Atlas. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and plug uh, versus unplugged. I assume plug kind of means electronic, whereas pl unplugged means uh, acoustic, right? So Atlas Plug, you know, whatever. It just had a little hidden meaning for me. And, mm. um, and I did an entire album of electronica that would be perfectly suited for licensing and video games, TV, and film. And... Um, and the plan worked before the album was finished. Actually, it came out in 2003. Microsoft uh, heard the record through my publisher and asked to, re to license uh, four songs off the album. Three weren't even done yet in a game called Rally Sport Challenge 2. And that was technically the first license that I ever had, the first video game credit I ever had back in 2003, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And then that led to more licenses and games like Crackdown and Project Gotham and and uh, all, all those kind of things. And then uh, a couple of years later, then I started uh, getting the chance to compose original music. Uh, in video games and that kind of led to my composing career is that also kind of like a soft rhyme off of the Ayn Rand novel ah yes 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 absolutely okay. that's, that's another little <laughs> reference that kind of perhaps that's what kind of pushed me in that rhyming direction with the shrugged plugged <laughs> whatever that kind of thing but yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're well read aren't you a lot of the early licensed stuff uh taken from your album two days or die uh, which you released under the atlas plug moniker uh, was in racing games, um, which I think the kind of aggressive style of a lot of the kind of electronic work that you had done uh, really kind of shone through. Um, but simultaneously, you've also been doing a lot of soundtracks that have incorporated elements that fuse styles from different kind of cultural music from all over the world, like um, Red Steel, Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands, which we listened to on the way in. 
From Dust, Killer Instinct. Uh, There's a lot of things that incorporate instruments from other cultures and some of the kind of stylistic elements from the other cultures as well. Um, How do you gain knowledge and expertise in musical styles from other cultures when preparing for projects like these? I use it as an opportunity to really uh, jump right in into the deep end of the pool, so to speak. Um, I've I learned early on in my career. I think Red Steel was the first project where I really was in over my head and had to sink or swim. And and I love that. I love the adrenaline. I love the exploration, the adventure of it all. And so pretty much what I do is I just research. And we're talking about music, so I don't. It's not like I have to learn actual words or, or language that, but I have to learn the musical language. I need to learn the culture. Mm. And I love that. I mean, that's, that's, that's a fun part of my quote unquote job. Right. So, mm. you know, in the case of red steel, um, they asked me, um, uh, well, have you done Japanese music and, and things like that? And, you know, I, I said, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that early, early in my career. So I'd never say no, just always say yes and then figure it out. And uh, I'm really glad I did because I did figure it out and it, it, it came out wonderfully. We were so happy with it. I called the Japanese embassy in New York and uh, I remember speaking to some people there and getting some leads about some other Japanese musicians, instrumentalists, vocalists. And one thing led to another. It was like a detective uh, novel and I, I started talking to people, inviting people over to the studio, learning about about the instruments and the scales and how it differentiates from Chinese and Japanese and Korean. You know, I just wanted to be very specific. I studied Mm -hmm. the reference music uh, that the client gave me. And uh, the first thing that we did was that choral theme, which I'm not going to attempt to sing right now. And uh, (laughs) when uh, we did that and uh, Ubisoft played it for Nintendo, who is the the, uh, publisher, uh, they said, so who's this Japanese composer you used? (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's the ultimate compliment, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the same thing, the same process sort of happens with all the different other things that I that I uh, dive into. It doesn't matter what culture it is, what uh, uh, it's just something I love and I I dig in, I listen, I explore, I ask questions and I, I kind of just immerse myself in it. That's very interesting. Starting at the embassy, it's not somewhere that I would have uh, I would have thought of necessarily, but that's a, a smart move. You know, it's when you have a genre of music or something that's recommended to you, or if you hear something on the radio and you think, Hey, I'd like to learn more about that. You know, there's, cause there's hundreds of subgenres and things that you just never encounter in day-to-day life. Um, it, it's sometimes really tricky to figure out like where to start, like what are kind of the canonized greats in a way. And I can imagine for traditional music or music from other cultures or music that would only be written about in other languages, you know, subgenres of things that emerge in other countries that could be, um, that can kind of double the, the difficulty of, of learning and educating yourself. Absolutely. And, so, and I, and yeah. I completely rely on the, on the musicians that I, I invite. So, you know, whether it was, I remember um, when I was doing Killer Instinct, uh, we were working on a character named Kim Woo, and she was a mm-hmm. Korean female um, street fighter. And, you know, so I've done Japanese music now, right? I feel like an, I'm sort of an expert there. I've done Chinese, uh, but Korean specifically, no. So it was interesting because there is a lot of crossover in those cultures. Mm. So when I was working with musicians, she was showing me on the instrument that even though they use the same the same string instrument, 
on on in many cases it's how they play it so she's de- demonstrating to me how she how she plucks the strings or the the, the type of vibrato mm. she uses and um i never would have figured that out on my own by let's say reading books or watching movies or just listening necessarily but only from people who have studied their whole life uh and who do that kind of music so i always make sure when needed that i um that i go to that length to be as authentic as possible. And I'm sure just in the musical field, you've taken an interest in, uh, I, I think a lot of composers find themselves collecting eclectic instruments. Do you find yourself in that uh, in that bucket as well? <laughs> I admit that uh, from time to time, I have purchased some of these ethnic instruments, but if I'm being completely honest, uh, I usually find that I don't spend too much time performing it myself, at least to this point. Mm-hmm. I remember buying a, a djembe and um, for, I was doing, was it Halo, Spartan Assault, and I wanted to kind of, you know, have the ability to do some tribal things and and I was doing from dust and I remember trying to do stuff there. But when you have a professional who knows how to play it, it comes out way better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Definitely. So I'll use it a little bit and I, you know, but I'm, I'm not here to say, yes, I play every single instrument that I know. <laughs> Absolutely not. There's, there's no need for that. That's interesting. Let's get into that uh, opening track that we heard on the way in. Um, this came from Prince of Persia, Forgotten Sands. Uh, which if people are interested in going back to that game in the extensive Prince of Persia series, uh, it's worth noting that there are two very different console versions. Um, There is a version that was released on Xbox 360, PS3, and PC, and then a kind of entirely separate version that was released on the Wii, uh, presumably due to the different control methods or even the different level of uh, technology within the consoles. Um, They just thought that instead of and of reusing a lot of what they had done on the other set of consoles that they would just um, create something entirely new for that audience, which, which is cool. You know, you don't see that very often to take it completely from scratch, clean slate. So releasing two games, essentially uh, two entirely separate games in the same year with the same name, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting approach. Uh, you would have thought that, you know, there would be some sort of a unified aesthetic, but they decided to, branch out, have different composers, different artists, different programmers. What was it about um, about your music that fit this version of the game particularly well? Well, you know, I'll back up one one minute here. You know, when they when they re- when they decided to release two different Prince of Persia games with the same name on two different consoles, I was honestly disappointed because I foresaw what would happen and it did happen. Most people at the time had put their Wii's in the closet. And, and a lot of people had the Xbox, right, or the PS3. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what would happen was, you know, well, it, it's Prince of Persia, the Forgotten Sands. I have both consoles. Let me just get the Xbox version. Not realizing mm-hmm. at all that this is a completely different game. It has nothing to do with the other one. It's, it, you could have bought both of them and been completely satisfied because they have nothing to do with each other. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, unfortunately, I... Uh, that really kind of made the audience um, much smaller than it could have been uh, for this game. And, and most people didn't hear uh, or aware of, of this, this whole thing. You know, they use the same cover art, which is like, what? <laughs> 
nuts. It's yeah, not the same game as well. <laughs> they use the same name, the same cover art. And I think it had something to do with the movie that was coming out at the time. Right. Um, so the marketing, it was probably a marketing decision, but I think they, they really did an injustice uh, because uh, this, this game was um, so wonderful. The, the 360 version, um, much more, I'd say, uh, what you would expect, modern um, modern gaming aesthetic, whereas the, the Wii version was so different. Uh, it was such a creative, artistic, dreamy, if you will, kind of atmospheric game. And, and it, it took me way back to the Sands of Time, which is my favorite mm-hmm. Prince of Persia game ever. In fact, when I went to visit the studio prior to working on the project, I sat with them and I and I watched the early version of the game and I said, you know what, this, I'm so excited here. I said, how much of the Sands of Time was influencing this? And they said, oh yeah, you got it. I mean, for sure. And then, you know, we were kind of talking. I'm like, oh, I remember how the, the tapestries on the wall and just the atmosphere just oozed. And so mm. I wasn't concerned in any shape or form with this other version of the game. That was, you know, I didn't even know what they were going to do. I didn't know the sound. I didn't know the style. Uh, It turns out that they went into a more, you know, what would you would call expected direction, orchestral, and it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do is do something very unexpected, very something very traditional, very dreamy, very um, artistic. So, you know, for me, I was influenced more like by Peter Gabriel, like something that he would do, like Mm -hmm. in The Passion of the Christ. There was no uh, orchestral instrumentation whatsoever. In, in the score and I do and I do suggest uh, to your listeners to check it out it was, it was really fun so I had a, a chance to make it incredibly wonderful eclectic and universal so what you'll notice if you listen to it even that first track that you played there were five different live musicians playing on that track from around the world um, I had a close friend of mine Bashiri Johnson he was the percussionist world famous percussionist he was playing he was in Brooklyn I had a cymbalon player in 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 San Francisco playing on it. The wind player, Sandro, was in Sweden. Um, I had a, a good friend of mine, dear friend at the time, Judith. She was in Italy. She was the vocalist. She was singing on it. And, you know, all these things. And Azam Ali um, came, incredible um, Iranian descent singer. You first heard her in the movie 300. Uh, dear friend, wonderful person. She was singing. It was just this beautiful potpourri, this mixture, this melting pot of sounds and textures. Um, and of course, you know, all the things that I was playing to it as well. So, you know, that's what I wanted to go for. I really wanted you to be able to get lost in the music mm. and just like the game. And, and that's really what attracted me to Prince of Persia, the, the sands of time back in the day. That's one of the inspirations for me to get into games in addition to Halo and Rainbow Six. And um so that's the way it really came out. So, man, if anyone has a Wii sitting around, I mean, you could probably get that game for nothing. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, this Prince of Persia series has been a part of gaming since, you know, near the beginning, almost. It's uh, oh, from absolutely. the old kind of motion captured 2D games to the several 3D iterations and, and reboots of such. Um, it's It's really interesting. It's always... I'm always very curious what the next Prince of Persia is going to be because it's always so kind of wildly different from the last one. I remember playing it on the Apple IIe <laughs> back in yeah. the early 80s. Yeah, it's wild stuff. We haven't had a Prince of Persia game this entire generation, I believe. I think it's about time for a, for a uh, revitalization. I agree. Uh, so even beyond the Prince of Persia, um, you've done a series which have 
and long established and celebrated musical legacies like Halo and Wolfenstein. And then there's times when you've also modernized and updated uh, specific pieces that were written by other composers, um, the, the pieces that you referenced on uh, Killer Instinct or even the work that you had done on Halo 2 Anniversary. Uh, how do you kind of determine the right balance between recognizability of the original track that you are kind of tasked with modernizing and adding your own personal flair? Yeah, you know, um, when it comes to adding my own personal flair, that's something that I really don't try to do. Um, hmm. I try really to get out of the way. And my own personal flair or, or rather my personal identity or recognizable features, whatever you want to call it, will naturally come through because it's coming through me. But when it comes to supporting a video game or film or movie or any, you know, anything like that, I know the role of the music is really to support it. It's not to call attention to itself. Mm. And so it comes down to uh, finding the identity of the, the piece that you're doing of the of the game that you're supporting so whether it's something that exists already like halo i was asking you know i was a big fan of that game going back to 2001 so you know and as a, as a musician i always listen and try to figure out what that musical recipe is and and i kind of come up with my own definitions in my mind you know I, if i were to break it down into its components what is it that makes it halo music you know, whether it's uh, a one part Celtic and a part tribal and a part rock and a part sacred and ethereal, you know, those kind of things. And I kind of define those in my own mind. And then I create, again, new music using those same pillars or those same musical recipes. And that's how I approach something that already exists. I want to respect the legacy of the project. I want to respect what it is that the creators of the project feel is the identity. I want to respect what the fans resonate with. So when I approach something like Halo, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy back in the days when Halo 4 and Halo 5 came out and people were saying, well, I like the new direction. I like the old direction. You know, for me, I'm I really appreciate the legacy of it. And that's where the magic was for me. So when I approached Halo, I took the same approach. What is it that makes it what it is? And I, I wanted to continue in that direction. And, you know, Marty is a, is a friend of mine, great, great guy. And uh, mm. so it's, it's something I wanted to respect and carry on, um, you know, as, as long as I was working on the franchise. Uh, and then when it comes to something brand new, that has its own set of, of uh, freedom and challenges at the same time because you have more, much more of a blue sky scenario. We can go any way we want. So that's where I really uh, rely on the, on the collective thoughts and the teamwork aspect. So it really doesn't matter if I'm working on a brand new franchise. It's really about establishing what that should sound like. And that's really the hardest part, whether it be Ghost Recon or Wolfenstein or any of the, the many other projects that I had to establish a sound, it's like a lot of work goes into what is that musical mm. sound? What is that signature? Because for me, I'm not satisfied until I can get the music to the point where someone can listen to five or 10 seconds and close their eyes and know what game they're playing. And for me, that's a success. That's like how you, you come and, and give it something original and unique. Mm. That's the fun challenge of this whole thing. And of course, Unique Sounds, we spoke a bit earlier about Red Steel. That was an entirely new IP on a new platform. Everything about the game was an unknown variable at that point. That's so right. That's right. That seems to me like that would be very attractive as a project because it's really just, I mean, other than, you know, having to 
or um, this this idea that you were going to be incorporating aspects of kind of traditional Japanese music and infusing it with this new style, you know, other than that, like you kind of have a lot of uh, freedom to interpret like Red Steel as to being, you know, there's no there's no established right answer at that point. So, that's right. That's right. That's right. And and not hmm. only Red Steel and Red Steel 2 as well, which was right. related, but not related. It was, if you look at the two games, again, they're like almost completely unrelated. Yeah. The, 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 you know, just the name, you know, the fact that you are still swinging the controller around and you can, you can switch between guns and swords interchangeably and one in each hand, you know, all that stuff is awesome. But the games are so different. So you can only imagine the challenges to how do we make them different? How do we establish a musical recipe? How do we make them unique? You know, it was like, wow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so Red Steel 1 was basically Chinese, uh, excuse me, backwards. Red Steel 1 was Japanese infused, but infused everything. Like the style of music in that game went from like Japanese retro early 80s R&B to full traditional choral music to to completely electronica to 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 breakbeat to EDM to like everything. It was all over the place, but it still had a cohesive. We even had traditional Kyoto music and soothing stuff. It was like, wow, it was just, I love that score brings a smile to my face. We even did this crazy killer circus music in one of the levels in that game <laughs> where it was like 70s, 50s sci-fi meets killer clown circus music. Uh, oh my goodness, that was all over the place. So I really, really loved uh, that score. Uh, it was almost like every map was its own challenge. Red Steel 2 was completely different. Chinese meets the Old West. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I've never heard anything like it before. The way we were infusing traditional Chinese music and instruments with full-on adrenaline dripping dirty guitar tracks uh courtesy of steve wimet who amazing master of guitar and um so they both have a unique sound they're a lot of fun to listen to and um yeah <laughs> good good memories good stuff yeah let's go ahead and listen to one of these themes this is uh one of my favorites this is the katanagiri theme which you composed for red steel one uh, do you have anything to say about this piece of music in particular that that stands out in your memory yes this was the one that i mentioned earlier in the podcast where it was the first thing that i did and that they played um for nintendo oh, yeah. <laughs> to see if they approved and this is the one where they came back and said wow who's the japanese composer so <laughs> they definitely approved they did indeed
on in this uh, seems like an ongoing relationship with Ubisoft, actually, a uh, strong partnership being formed. You worked on a number of Tom Clancy games as well. That's right. Um, Tom Clancy, to give kind of an ultra reductionist description for an extremely diverse collection of games, uh, tend to kind of ride a line between realistic modern military and paramilitary operations and science fiction you know it's very kind of near future that pushes kind of just beyond what's presently possible in armed conflict that's right so you know creating music for far future in a way is an entirely different discipline it's a lot more kind of fantasy you know you think star wars and star trek and they really have they can define their own sound because it doesn't need to be grounded necessarily to the same extent that something that a near future piece would have to be. So how do you, how do you write for near future? How do you make it familiar, but just kind of alien enough to be, um, to kind of give that impression of being kind of just a little push beyond reality. There's so many ways to do it. I would never presume to, uh, to answer that and give you the right answer. Mm. I can just give you my thoughts on it. And how I approach <laughs> right. it, how I, how my brain works. But there's uh, so many, countless ways uh, that this is done. The way I like to approach it is if I'm talking about something that's near future, then that means it's something that is somewhat familiar, but it has an element of unfamiliar. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Right. Yeah. So the music then would, in a way, represent that. It has something musically that is familiar, whether it be orchestral things. Um, or, you know, stuff that you've kind of style that you've kind of heard grounded in real instrumentation, but then also bringing some of that cool modern thing. And then what, what does that mean? You know, well, in my case, I'm often hired for my hybrid approach, the way I like to just interchangeably use, use non-orchestral and, and, you know, synthetics and sample, whatever it is, I, I kind of don't draw the line between real and not real. Uh, so it's just a natural fusion, um, you know, so I will just look and explore for for things that give me the sense of science fiction or, you know, you know, future uh, computer stuff, high tech, you know, and, and certainly um, since make that much more easy uh, to accomplish, in my opinion, because you can you can just endlessly explore and create sounds that no one's ever heard before, you know, and then when it comes to distant future. You know, I certainly like to go a bit beyond the familiar and mm-hmm. go into the the dare I say almost the fantastic, um, right. you know, uh, and, and again, there's a lot of ways to do that. I mean, you can still make it fantastic and use human voices. I do that all the, the Halo is a great example of that. I mean, when Marty established that the whole thing using the monks as, you know, kind of this sacred symbol symbolism, you know, that kind of set the set the bar. It's like, wow, you can. You can use choirs and still make it, you know, um, Mm. sci-fi and video games. I'm talking, of course, that's been done a million times in movies. But so I just kind of just go out there. I'm like, what what feeling does this give me? You know, and and what whatever it is, Um, I just love exploring sounds. I just love exploring synths and, and samples and instrumentation and choir and effects and verbs and, you know, whatever. It's just it's just an art. It's just like painting. And uh, wherever it takes you, you go. So this particular track is called Eagles Rising, which you composed for Tom Clancy's Hawks 2. It is from uh, a 2010 game, which was released on the PC, PS3, 360, Wii, and OnLive systems. And what can you tell us about this track in particular? Yeah, so this track really, for me, is meant to be the 
the theme uh, of the game. Um, it, it's meant to symbolize the, the, the plane taking off. You hear it. You feel if you close your eyes, you so like you you sense this. You're, you know, you're on the aircraft carrier and you're looking out into the horizon, and you have this sense of purpose and grandeur, and 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 then as you hear the music, eagles rising, right? So it's talking about the jets, the planes rising into the air. Mm-hmm. You feel that, and it just rises and rises, and then it's like. You feel the power when you 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 know you go through Mach one or Mach two or whatever it is. The, the you break the sound barrier. You just kind of just feel the power as it develops and rises into the air. And um, although this was not a Ghost Recon game, there was a relation between the two. This was almost like a a what I call it like a, a brother to Ghost Recon in the sense that this was meant to be the air support portion of Ghost Recon. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was some crossover between some of the Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter missions in this game, where you are supporting them from the air. Um, so the sound has a has a bit of a of a relation to Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, which was done intentionally, but it also feels distinctly different as it's in the air. So everything uh, is meant to give that sense of speed and power flying through the air and altitude. So yeah, I would just recommend your listeners just close their eyes and, and, and take a listen and kind of imagine that imagery and see where it takes you.
so next we're moving on to another game that has a uh, kind of a, a it's a kind of gathering place for a lot of the top composers you know you'll see so many of the the greatest kind of video game composers all have this one credit for this game that in the west i don't think a lot of people have even really heard of but like it's on everyone's resume <laughs> it's a uh, honor of kings which is 10 cents um one of 10 cents games and it's it's hugely pop- popular over in china but again like kind of unknown over here but it's just a almost like a prestige project that you know once people kind of make it to a certain level you know they're um you're almost given like the opportunity to like you know throw some some tracks their way uh it's 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 a real who's who's of video game composers so uh, for such a massive game with a diverse lineage of really kind of top of the pack composers um how do you even kind of begin approaching a project like this like is it your aim to create music that fits into the game's aesthetic toolkit that's already been established or are you given a lot of freedom to really break the mold and and take the music in whatever direction you want. Well, I think the first thing that I would do is try to not even think about any of the things you mentioned because it would bring <laughs> so much pressure to me. Imagining mm. like, oh my God, this is so big and all the, you know, everyone's going to be listening to me alongside of this guy and this person and this woman, <laughs> you know. Um, so it, I'm kind of glad I'm, I don't even pay much attention to that because it just adds too much pressure. I can't, I can't go there. You know, I approach it just the way uh, I try to approach everything else just from a very sincere, honest place and um i um i did several um things in that game one of them i believe is the main theme at least that's what i was told yeah and the other music that i did was for the character ug it was used in the um in the lobby screen so one piece of music is used before the battle and one piece of music is used after the battle and um really for that the way that uh, i was given instruction was to just capture the essence of the character and that's it I wasn't shown game footage because it's not about game footage. It's about the music you listen to in the men- in the lobby or mm. the menu screen. And all they really have is just a floating kind of slightly animated, uh, beautiful uh, image of the character. Um, you know, like a slightly moving um, comic book, if you will. Just beautiful concept art. And um, so really they'll say, well, the character's beautiful and the character is magical. And, you know, and they give me all these kind of key terms. And just like anything else, I'm like, okay, how do I take those terms and put it into music? Uh, One of the pieces is meant to bring excitement. And one of the pieces is meant to kind of bring a a sense of perhaps retrospectiveness and, and, and appreciation. So um, the the first piece uh, is the action theme. And if you listen to both of them, the UG action and the UG um, quiet, the piece of music is identical melodically and structurally. In fact, I wrote the action one first and just on a piano. And then I wrote the the quiet one on a piano. Hmm. And then I went back and went and, and added all the um, the instrumentation. I redid the arrangement and the orchestration and added all the, the, the you know, synths and orchestra and percussion and what have you. But uh, I, I was particularly pleased with the quiet theme. It was, it was really fun. I, I felt it... It really captured the beauty and the magic of the character. And then, of course, my dear friend Jillian Aversa, an incredible vocalist who I've worked with before on uh, many projects, including Halo, um, came in and lent us her voice to to 
re-perform the melody they had written. Uh, so I was just so pleased. It's just so gorgeous. And I'm a little disappointed that it's really not available in the United States right now. So if you wanted to hear this besides this podcast, you have to go to my SoundCloud page. But I'm hoping, fingers crossed, for some soundtrack releases in the near future. And of course, as soon as those become available, obviously the soundtrack is definitely worth seeking out. Uh, there's some uh, some stunning stuff on there. Let's listen to this particular track. This is called UG Lobby Quiet Theme from Honor of Kings. next track is from one of the Halo games from Halo Spartan Strike. Uh, you've also composed for the Halo Anniversary games and for a uh, Halo... Is it an animated film? Yes, yeah, The Fall of Reach. Right. 
So how did your relationship with 343 begin and uh, the Halo series overall? Um, simply, um, a, a good friend and colleague of mine, uh, Paul Lipson at the time was, was working with uh, Microsoft and he was given the task to, um, work on the Halo anniversary. So it was his task to figure out how to recreate the entire score from scratch. So he, he called me and uh, asked me to be part of the team, which I, you know, the phone dropped. I was so incredibly thrilled because that was like asking an aspiring sci-fi film director, would you like to <laughs> um, recreate the original Star Wars scene by scene? Mm. Uh, you know, so for me, Halo was one of the key reasons I wanted to get involved in video game music in the first place. And um and so, you know, being part of that uh, experience was life changing and, and wonderful. Uh, it taught me a lot of things, too, because that led to me working on the Halo 2 anniversary, which became the Master Chief collection. And again, these are note by note recreations. I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of this, that there was no um, shared uh, music or sounds or recordings from those two. Uh, hmm. From the original games and the new ones, we actually had to recreate everything note for note, sound by sound. And um, so that was no easy task. So doing those things um, uh, brought me into the Halo universe. And then at the same time, they were starting to come out with some new games. So at that time, Mario O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore were no longer working on the Halo franchise. Um, so they uh, I was thrilled to be asked to come in and uh, create original scores for Halo Spartan Assault and Spartan Strike and Fall of Reach. And uh, Halo Spartan Assault was really technically my first original Halo score. And I was well aware of the expectations and the pressure. So that that I think the hardest part of that was just the mental game that I had to uh, get mm -hmm. over uh, in my mind as far as meeting my own expectations and what the fans were and what 343 wanted and how were we going to establish the sound because this was also the first time that Halo was taken out of the uh, FBS and turned into a top-down shooter and which is you know not what Halo is known for uh, which introduces yeah. its own challenges because top-down shooters are typically known for constant explosions and gunfire and and this was no different how do we create Halo music that felt like Halo, hmm. that had the spectrum of everything from ethereal ambient all the way into epic battles and everything in between and in different locations and jungles and sci-fi and, you know, all the different things that Halo covers. And it's a beautiful thing to look at. They did such an amazing job on an iPhone, which was also a first for Halo. It was the first Halo game ever put on an Apple device. <laughs> wow. Which is funny because the first time that Halo was ever shown was at an Apple conference before Microsoft. That's right, right? Uh, full game full circle. From under them, so. <laughs> a lot of Halo history, right? Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. So this was really a challenge uh, in many, many ways. Uh, but in the end, I was, I was really happy uh, that we were able to find a, a voice for it that felt authentically Halo. It felt like that that iconic legendary halo sound um, but it also matched and worked well in this new packaged form uh, of the game so was it helpful kind of working on that uh, those halo anniversary projects which were more kind of like recreating the original sound to kind of put you in that mindset or did you have to find yourself kind of mentally trying to put up a block to make sure that you weren't just recreating the sound to make sure that you had you know 
you were you were wanting to intentionally go in and create something entirely new. Well, I say it's a little bit of both, but yes, it was incredibly helpful that I worked on that. I mean, working on recreating something note for note, mm-hmm. it, it teaches you the DNA of that right, music. Yeah. I mean, I learned exactly by doing what it was that made it sound like Halo music, you know, and it showed me it's like it was, it was like a tutorial like, oh, yes, this is the note. This is the kind of chords. This is the kind of pedal tones. These are the kind of, you know, voice leadings. This is the kind of sound aesthetic. This is the kind of technique, you know, and so it was a huge lesson to me. In fact, I count myself uh, incredibly fortunate because um, most composers that worked on all the other new Halo games did not have that opportunity. So uh, having that, it really taught me how to do Halo music if I wanted to make it sound really authentic. And what I what I felt, and 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 the and three four three agreed, and 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 Paul, who was the the music director at that time, he he agreed also that we really wanted to pay homage to the original Halo. I, I you know, if if something's working, there's no need to change it. Um, so although it would have my unique voice in it, not because I was like, I felt I had to bring my unique voice, but just because it's I'm I am who I am and the music's coming through me. So it's going to have a bit of me anyway. I'm, you know, um, but um, but it wasn't my intention to uh, say, no, I'm going to do it better or differently. Um, I'm just going to do it in a way that is going to work for this project and that feels satisfying to Halo fans old and new. Yeah, so Legacy Unbound um, is one of my favorite tracks. It's based on the same theme that I created for uh, Spartan Assault called Legacy. Um, So we just wanted to kind of, it was like a continuation. That's why we called it Legacy Unbound. So you'll hear that familiar choir theme, which again, I'm not going to sing. Um, But then as it continues, you start to hear a little bit more um, synthetic arpeggios brought into it. Um, and it was meant to symbolize the difference between Spartan Assault, the, the nature of the game, the, um, just, just to make it a bit more unique, a little more high tech, perhaps a little more power and impact to it. Um, but we all love that original theme so much that it, it felt natural to, to bring it back, you know, just like uh, any other franchise, you have Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars until you hear that theme, you know, so um, we wanted to kind of repeat the theme, but then take it into uh, just let it evolve as it would go into a brand new chapter of the of the game.
mentioned earlier on the uh, track that you did for Kim Wu for Killer Instinct, uh, the 2013 remake. Actually, this is for season three, which started in 2016, if I remember correctly. Um, but this is um, uh, the, the thing that I found most interesting about this is that there's some really terrific behind the scenes videos that were made with uh, your work with Cell Dweller, which you collaborated with on this project. And um, between uh, this track and also a bunch of the other tracks that you uh, worked on as well, um, it, it looks like a really fun project to compose for, quite honestly. It looked like there was a lot of um, energy, a lot of, uh, you know, both very kind of powerful musicians between you and Cell Dweller. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. This is definitely a, a, a project I enjoyed. So throughout many of your soundtracks, and, and we've heard some of it already, uh, you seem to be very comfortable working with vocal performers. Um, what's your philosophy? Because everyone treats it a little bit differently on um, featuring vocals. You know, sometimes they're the focus of the track, like you would get in a traditional kind of rock and roll song, or sometimes they uh, almost kind of fade in with the rest of the instruments, kind of treated just like another instrument. How do you typically approach vocals in, uh, in the work that you do? Yeah, so when I approach vocals, um, I, I really enjoy working with vocalists. And in fact, that goes back to my years in the record business and, and writing songs and recording and doing vocal arrangements. So for me, it's very comfortable and familiar. That's that's come second nature to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I work with vocalists, uh, I really want to bring out the best of that that person. I want them to feel like the, it, the track, they, they own it, that it's coming from them and they're not just doing going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and it, it translates very well into whatever kind of vocal I'm doing, whether it be for, for a song or whether it be do something for Kim Woo. Uh, in this case, I, I brought in a, a wonderful uh, Korean um, female singer uh, for it. And um, we had a lot of fun. We were able to, I was kind of able to, um, get her to do everything from, you know, beautiful singing and voices to like some having fun with some kind of like yelling and rapping kind of stuff. And, you know, we just we just want to kind of bring out the essence and the best uh, of that person uh, in a way that supports whatever it is we're doing. Awesome. I recommend checking out that piece, uh, that behind the scenes video online. It's a, it's a fun watch. Anyways, this is The Dragon Spirit, Kim Woo's Theme by Atlas Plug and Cell Dweller from Killer Instinct.
moving to a, uh, another game prominently featured on Xbox One and PC, uh, among other platforms, of course. This is, uh, you were given the opportunity to compose the main theme from Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. I believe this was because Battlegrounds had a uh, kind of a lengthy early access development cycle that was kind of publicly available. This is one that was, uh, I believe, kind of subbed in. Um, not at its kind of original early access release, but um, in uh, at some point like April 2017 or something like that. When, uh, um, but it was a uh, it's an it's a it's a really stunning piece. It's it's interesting because this is an entirely new genre, so to speak. You know, with very few predecessors, this was the first one that really kind of like broke through the mainstream in a way. This battle royale genre. And uh, so that means really like the door was open to you kind of blazing a path of your own aesthetically. Um, What were some of the challenges of working on this project in particular? Well, definitely for the points that you just mentioned, this theme um, would be used as a theme outside of the gameplay. And Mm. um, there was already some piece of music that they were using already. And as you mentioned, it did have an established player base. But I think what it was is that when the game was going to go official, like an official release, like it's ready, it's out of beta and they wanted to hit the world strong. They they felt that they wanted to uh, approach uh, another composer and, and have them um, reinterpret it. And I, I went, uh, you know, I, I followed their their direction as far as what they were looking to accomplish. You know, I, I clearly wanted to ask them, OK, well, you have something. So what is it that's working? What's not working? What do you want? Uh, and they, and they kind of did leave it up to me in a way. But I also wanted to be respectful of um, why they came to me and what they were looking to accomplish. So if, if you know, if they were going to go to me, there's no need for me to, um, you know, just reduce uh, another existing melody. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm. But I wanted to make sure that I, I hit all the stylistic points that would support their vision and support the game itself. Um, so in this case, the things that they really enjoyed from my past work that they referenced was the the original theme to Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, actually the menu music there. Okay. And they also referenced, believe it or not, Halo Spartan Assault, a track called With Her Whisper. Hmm. And they liked the EDM stuff in the bass on that. So that was a, you know, again, it's a hybrid kind of approach. You take this powerful French horn, melodic, heroic theme, but they also like the EDM factor. So I say, okay, it's still kind of general. Like we can go a lot of directions with that. Um, and uh, but if this is being used in the menu versus in the game, that that has a that plays a role in determining how to approach the music. So when I first did it. It was what you know as the first half of the music, and and that's what they actually used in the theme, is the first half of the theme, which was Mm. much more of a quiet, melodic sense of heroism and anticipation and and freedom because it's a you know you can go anywhere you want i think one of the things that inspired me when i wrote the melody it's just you know it's just something that came out naturally by you know you're dropping out of a plane and you're looking down at this almost peaceful scene right uh going well you can go anywhere you want and land but knowing that once you get the ground uh you know it it's going to be a little different there. Everyone's out to get each other. So it, I wanted to give a sense of anticipation and heroism and strength, like I can do this and optimism. And I did that original theme. And then they came back and said, well, yeah, we really like this, but that we want more action. 
action and you know and the, the we want to go somewhere actiony and I was like well okay I can definitely do that but is this being played in the menu says yes I said well okay typically you know you save the action for hmm. for a little later or whatever but in any case I I did it and uh, it, it is I, it's one of my favorite parts of the theme but they end up not using it because they want they use the quiet part. <laughs> I was like, uh, that was a little frustrating. So if you want to hear the full theme, you can actually hear it on Spotify. It has both halves uh, to it. But most people only know the first half because that's what they listen to. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. This is the main theme from Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. One track to listen to uh, still today, but before we do that, I'd like to remind everyone to venture over to our forum at canonrinse.com slash forum, where you can request your own uh, own favorite pieces of video game music for future Sounds of Play. We usually play a selection of listener requests when we don't have a uh, a composer in, in the studio, so to speak, the virtual studio. We have some other podcasts. We have uh, Kano Rinse on Mondays. Uh, Playwright comes out on Thursdays and the Sausage Factory on Fridays for your other podcast listening once and needs. 
It's been my pleasure, Ryan Heyman, to uh, again chat all this time with uh, Tom Salta, who's just been a uh, very, uh, very fascinating, uh, been given a very fascinating look into his own composing uh, history and the style and the kind of the aesthetic uh, preferences that he brings to the music. It's been uh, it's been really illuminating. And, and thank you for taking the time out to uh, to come and chat with us on the show. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Do you have anything that you want to draw people's attention to, whether it's video game soundtracks that you're composing or some of your own solo work? Yeah, uh, there's a bunch of things going on. Um, unfortunately, I can only talk about the non video game things. So uh so quickly, uh, one of my fun side projects that I'm that I'm doing as a big fan of the 80s and 80s music and movies and culture uh, is I have a little podcast that I'm doing with my brother-in-law called Two Guys and the 80s. And it's we're on our, I think, sixth episode now it comes out every month and it's a lot of fun. So if you appreciate the 80s or, or you want to hear more about what it was like growing up, uh, check it out. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, not sure how many of your listeners are on Twitch, but uh, I recently performed at TwitchCon and I did perform live the theme to PUBG uh, Battlegrounds, um, which was really fun. One of the musicians up there was a composer, Phil Shepard, who was playing cello, and I asked him, he invited him and some other people to um, play along uh, with the theme. So we actually playing the Battlegrounds theme live. So that that was a lot of fun, definitely. <laughs> That's that was, very that, cool. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was great, very different. So you can catch that on my Twitch channel and on my YouTube channel. Uh, and then lastly, again, not in games, but... Um, I am involved in a brand new television show called Dance It Out. Uh, it's going to be on the Lifetime Network, and I'm in charge of, uh, I'm an executive producer of the show, but I'm also a music supervisor, so I'm doing some of the music, and I'm I'm, mm. I'm gathering some of the music for that show, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's like a narrative-driven workout dance show with uh, the celebrity uh, uh, fitness and dance coach, Billy Blanks Jr., so a lot of fun, mm. different things taking me into all different areas, and uh, rumor has <laughs> it that some of my music from the video game Just Dance some of my original songs will make its way into that show. So there is some crossover there. Very cool. Well, you, you spoke a little bit about the 80s there, and that actually takes us really nicely into this last piece of music that we're going to be listening to today. Uh, this is uh, from among some of your newer projects, games that came out just this year, the kind of duology of uh, Wolfenstein, Youngblood, and then the VR spinoff, so to speak, Cyberpilot. I found these projects to be extremely interesting because ever since 2017's reboot, The New Order, the Wolfenstein series has been kind of unabashedly an all-out, very kind of balls to the wall in everything that it's been doing. And it's led with these kind of roaring heavy metal soundtracks, which are, you know, unmistakable, mm-hmm. um, kind of following on from uh, from the the other work that had been done on, on Doom and um, just really strong powerful soundtracks and uh with the kind of raging guitars and that electronica kind of grit and crunch to them as well for sure but uh these this particular one uh, a young blood in particular had a very different sound which super interesting um this soundtrack obviously a collaboration between yourself and then some other composers that were brought on to kind of merge in an 80s synth style which is uh new for the series as far as i know and so or how do you take a a series that has had a trajectory in a certain direction and pivot it to something that sounds so you know 
tonally different. Yeah, well, I'll say it was a lot of teamwork and planning and, and discussions, uh, and it was not accidental. Um, so Nick, the audio director, really was a creative uh, director for for how the music would play out, and he had very specific um, preferences as, as to what he wanted. In fact, it didn't really, I wouldn't classify it as an 80s synth. It started mm. out really as a mainly guitar-oriented uh, uh, I'll call post-punk kind of early 80s, like the Cocteau Twins, uh, specifically Graceland's album, uh, for people who really know that stuff. And uh, that was something I wasn't even really as familiar with, uh, which I had to kind of listen to a lot and study the sound. Hmm. Of course, as a lover of synths uh, in the 80s, I wanted to bring some of that in, and, and Nick was certainly open to that idea. So it evolved, and we were able to start infusing some of that. And... and um, but in an 80s vocabulary. So certainly John Carpenter's name came up, you know, from those kind of early 80s films, which are all synth driven, you know, things like Escape from New York uh, and some of the the horror uh, movies, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like Halloween, things like that. So that was the dark uh, aspect that we were able to bring in from the 80s, but not the typical 80s shiny new wave stuff that definitely was nowhere to be found. Uh, and that was established as a no, no quite early in the project. Um, so. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not a guitar player, but I started, you know, I had to create music that felt very guitar centric. And I started with some live uh, guitar players and they were tremendous. And then it evolved into me creating some guitar tones from non-guitars uh, that I started to use as a compositional foundation for a lot of the music. And uh, through a lot of experimentation and, and um, back and forth and using authentic 80s sounds and, and signal chains uh, and instruments, um, a unique signature sound um, evolved, which became the sound of Wolvenstein Youngblood. And, and Martin Stig Anderson also followed a lot of the similar guidelines, although he stayed into more of, um, I guess you'd say, guitar and sound design uh, aspects, um, we were in communication with each other so that our efforts were coordinated um, so that what I did and what he did would complement each other in different parts of the game. So I think it was uh, well executed, and I give a lot of credit to everyone involved, especially Nick, the audio director, for coordinating this kind of thing. And I liked really working uh, in a team situation. So it was a lot of fun. I, I, I think your listeners would, would enjoy it. Awesome. Well, as always, you can kind of just give a blanket recommendation for keep up with, uh, with whatever the Wolfenstein series is doing musically. It's always, uh, it's always a little bit different from game to game and always super interesting. So, uh, let's lead into this track. This is called Paris 1980 from Wolfenstein Youngblood. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, I think this uh, this brings through the unique sound of this particular game really well. So that's all that we have for this week. Thanks for listening. And again, thank you, Tom, for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Next week.